Hello and welcome to In the Days of Noor with me, Noor, where we talk about Islamic-related topics and social issues. So today I want to talk about being versus doing. Uh, A while ago on Facebook, then I wrote a post, uh, I don't remember the exact wording of it, but basically saying that men do and women be. I mean, I'm sure I wrote it better than that, but basically trying to talk about the differences between men and women. So Camille Paglia, one of my favorite feminists, she said it best in that she said, if women rule the world, or if there were no men, however you want to imagine it, then there would be no skyscrapers. And so what did she mean by that? And she was explaining it a bit on this interview. This is an old interview. And let me just spell her name for you. So her name is um, Camille, C-A-M-I-L-L-E. Palia, I always hear her name pronounced as Palia, but it's P-A-G-L-I-A. And she's one of my favorite feminists, not because I always agree with what she has to say, but because she takes things to her logical, to their logical conclusions, and also because I agree with a lot of the things she says. So just to give an example of her and I wish I had a more proper word for this. I guess she's very rational to me, is what I would call it. Um, so as we all know, then feminism fought for women to be independent. And the criticism that Camille Paglia or Paglia has of feminism is that it acts that for her she felt like feminism was asking for independence. And that was supposed to be and was, she felt like in her day or in her group, whatever it was, and was supposed to also give women equal responsibility. So independence, but yes, independence comes with responsibility. And one thing that she criticizes a lot is the Gloria Steinem wing of feminism because she feels as though women want the independence, but not the responsibility. And this is something that a lot of men who criticize feminism also say. So, for example, and this is an extreme example, and I'll I'll criticize what, what she has said, because I do think it's extreme, but for an example, then the the idea of date rape, that a man, that a man and woman would go out on a date and somehow signals get crossed, and he has sex with her, she does not want to have sex with him, and later, all, later on, either in that moment, she feels like it was rape, or she would categorize it as rape, or later on, she regrets it and categorizes it as rape. And what Camille Paglia says, which I think is rational to a point, I think she gets too extreme towards the end, but what she says is that when you get on a date, when you go on a date with a man, so the first thing she was saying is that the modern idea of an unchaperoned date is very new. That's a new thing, and I'm sure we can all imagine that. The idea of two single people going out to date is a very new thing because in the past people were were trying to get married that was the purpose of getting to know someone even if you got to know someone because there was so many cultures there are so many cultures where you wouldn't even necessarily get to know your potential spouse that well before marriage it would more so be arranged so the idea of going out on dates with someone and, and in our time going out on a date with someone and then not even being connected to getting married some people are just out to have a good time So she says that, first of all, that is new. That is a new phenomenon. But the second thing that she says is that there are signals that people give each other that are nonverbal. So a lot of feminism today and what she categorizes as the Gloria Steinem wing of feminism is really the dominant feminism that I think a lot of us are most familiar with. But a lot of feminism will will say and have marches and, and all different kinds of things is to say that no means no. Excuse me, that yes yes means yes means yes. And basically anything less than a verbal yes would be could be categorized as rape. And what she says is that no, there are nonverbal signals that you give to the opposite sex on this situation of a of a date that would let them know if you were open to um to having physical intimacy. So I think that, so let me just take you, she, so she goes to the, to the point of saying, if you get into a car for with a man and then you go up to his room, 
then that gives him the signal that you want to or are open to having sex. Now, I think she's right to a point. Now, I think that, and this is why, alhamdulillah, we have to constantly, for those of you who are Muslim listening, we have to constantly thank ourselves that we're Muslim and we have such clear guidelines because a lot of this confusion is solved if you just don't have these this very blurry space. The Prophet said, um, I'm going to sort of mess this up a little bit, but basically the, the, the summary of one of the hadith that he says is basically that there is right and there is wrong and then there is a blurry area in between and if you stay away from that blurry area, you will be on the right side. Basically, if you stay on the right and you don't even approach the blurry area, then you'll be okay. And we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us to not even come near zina. Zina is, of course, having sexual uh, sexual intimacy before marriage. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us don't even come near it. So not just don't commit zina, but don't come near zina. And what would coming near zina be? Would be going out on a date with out of the presence of, of other people, going uh, into someone's car by yourself of the opposite sex, going up to someone's room. I mean, you're coming closer and closer and closer. And so what what Camille Mahalia said is that once you've done that, you have given that man a signal that you are open to having sex. Now, the point in which I disagree on her on is if they do then have sex and she did not want to, whether she verbalized no or didn't say yes, I think that she has every right to to call that rape and have that crime prosecuted in a court of law. Now, at the same time, do I think that's fair to men? Well, not really. But I, I really hope that everyone in general, but especially men, because what I what I feel like is that men have benefited a lot from feminism and, and sex positivity and the sexual revolution they have benefited the most because now the way it was once set up before is that you had to do a lot before you could ever be able to have sex with a woman unless you were going to have sex with a prostitute, which obviously you would have to pay and have to risk sexual disease and you would be ashamed of doing that anyway, so you'd have to hide. But outside of that anomaly, the only way you would have sex with someone of the opposite sex is to get married. And what do you need to get married? You have to have some amount of money. You have to be at least a relatively decent person. And you have to court that woman so that she will want to marry you. That's a lot of work. (laughs) And what feminism and the sexual revolution did is take down all of those barriers, all of them, so that all you have to do is ask and see who says yes, basically. The The only thing that's standing in your way is if she personally doesn't want to and something that's so valuable that I was reading in Return to Modesty and also the book I'm reading now Why Gender Matters by Leonard Sachs Return to Modesty is by Wendy Shallot is that this sets up a very bad system socially for women especially younger girls because younger girls don't often have the confidence to say no when the only barrier between uh, when the only barrier to say no is really your personal feelings, if you can say, like the famous song that and Wendy Shallot mentions this song, like the famous song, uh, I wanna something, where oh honey it's cold outside. <laughs> so it's this little song where a man and woman sings back and forth, and basically she keeps giving him a number of excuses why she won't stay in his house because again. We're talking, there are some nonverbal communication, some nonverbal signals between men and women. So if you're a single woman staying in a single man's house, you are giving him some kind of signal that you are open to some kind of physical relationship. Now, if that's not, and if, and if that is not the case, it should be stated clearly, but if it's not stated, then he can get that impression. So anyway, in this song, she gives a number of excuses. She says, of course, she says it's cold outside, but she also says, what will the neighbors think? And, and different different ways in which to get out of this scenario of having this sexual encounter. Now, we as women and, and modern people, we may say, well, all she should have to say is no. No means no. 
And that's very easy to say, but it's not so easy to do for young women and older women because women have, whether you want to call it a na- our nature or social, um, what do you call that, socialization, whatever you want to call it, it's still a fact that women, we often want to please people. So if we're in a situation, especially for younger girls, where you're getting any kind of pressure from a man to be physical with him, if you don't have any excuse to get out of it besides your personal preference, it's going to be a lot harder. Whereas if you could say, you know, I can't because I because of my religion, or I can't because my dad would be so upset, or I or if you have a society that frowns against premarital sex, it's a lot easier to get out of. Whereas if you don't have that, you really almost have nothing, especially for younger girls. Because I've read my degree is in psychology, so I remember reading cases. There were even in this book right now that I'm reading, Why Gender Matters. And then I remember in one of my um, anthropology classes, just reading these cases of what felt to me like such bizarre sexual encounters. But then you realize how disempowered these young girls feel because they'll just be put in a situation where a man. Even even from my niece, I heard of this scenario happening in her school. Well, they'll just be put in a situation where um, a girl will be put in a situation where a young man asks her for some kind of sexual favor, and she doesn't feel like she has a choice but to do it. She just doesn't. I mean, in Allah, Allah it, it is just really sad that this is happening. But if we lived in a society where premarital sex was frowned upon, where her dad would hypothetically or or realistically step in to to stop uh excuse me to um should i say to harm the boy in any way for example we all know of the famous shotgun weddings right where if the boy got the girl pregnant the father would demand that he marry the woman and so there was a level of responsibility that you had to have in a, in society as a man before you could ever be able to sleep with a woman that just it doesn't exist anymore. So men benefited a lot from that system. And so to Camille Paglia, then she's saying, or Paglia, she says, women wanted this independence, fought for this independence in feminism, and it also means that responsibility. Now, obviously, I don't agree with fighting against any of the traditional norms that we had when it comes to sexuality. But I do at least appreciate a rational person saying, if you are going to fight from for freedom from these traditional norms, then you also have to take up the responsibility of what that means. So to me, yes, if, if a man has sex with a woman and she didn't want to have sex with him, yes, it's rape. And no, it's not fair to men, but I hope that men wake up because as I was saying, men have been able to take advantage of the sexual revolution of feminism and now they're not being able to take advantage of it so much anymore because for a while it was that, okay, now you get to just hook up with, I mean, for a very long time until very recently, you could just hook up with anyone you want. It's all fun, right? But now... A girl has an upper hand on on the boy or on the young man. Because if she says the next day that she was raped, you're in big trouble. And it's her word against yours. And we now in our society, I think in general, have accepted that most victims um, should be believed. Well, I shouldn't say in general we accept that. But a lot of people accept that narrative that most victims should be believed. Um... My view on that is that it's very complicated. I definitely, I, I just think it's very complicated because it's hard to prove. It is hard to prove. So then you really just end up with a situation of who do I believe? And um, I think for, at least for women, for a lot of us, it's just easier to believe other women. Um, and for men, maybe it's just a mixed bag. But anyway, the point is that <laughs> this revolution is coming back to bite men. 
because men thought they were completely winning from this. Now we have, now they went from a situation where they had to marry a woman before they could have sex with her. Now they don't. Now they just have to buy her a drink and more. I mean, they don't have to do anything in reality. Um, but it's coming back to bite them on the other end because if she says that she was raped, you're in trouble. And to me, a lot of these scenarios, it's not even about black and white. Was she or wasn't she raped? It's about perspective. Um, there was a case not too long ago where a young woman claimed to be raped by a young man and then his attorneys, they were able to dig up some videotape evidence that showed the two of them in a bar hanging out together and actually she was the one that hit on him to use this as proof to say, look, they were obviously having a good time and, you know, how can you say this was rape? They obviously just moments before were enjoying their time together. Okay, maybe, but the fact remains that in that room, we don't know what happened. And something that's fascinating, that again, a lot of people don't want to admit. In fact, um, it was just a year ago or so that, uh, man, I don't remember who it was exactly, but one of these national health organizations came out with warnings for women when it comes to alcohol and really warning women, not just pregnant women, but women who uh, may get pregnant. So basically, once you're older and you're obviously hopefully married, but if you're um, sexually active, that you should also not drink because if you drink and you don't drink alcohol and you don't know you're pregnant, that can really hurt your fetus as well. And people just made fun of the study. It was really sad. I think it was on Stephen Colbert where a woman came out and did stand up and just made fun of the survey. And I just felt, this is so sad. We're making fun of science. We're supposedly a nation that relies on science, and we're making fun of it because it disagrees with our with our widely held beliefs that men and women are the same, and it's just socialization that makes us different. And even now, this is, this is something I knew since um, community college, because I went to community college, then university, then to graduate school. So back in community college, I took a class on drugs and alcohol, and we learned about this, that alcohol affects women much worse than it affects men. And I was just reading about this again in Why Gender Matters by Leonard Sachs. Alcohol affects women much worse than men. So you can, so so this video of, it just made me think of this video that they were showing to show as like evidence that, okay, of course he couldn't have raped her, of course he, she couldn't have been unconscious I think that was a part of it as well something like I don't remember the exact case but of course you know here she is having fun and so obviously they were just fine well if she had three drinks let's say and he had three drinks he's probably still pretty conscious of his actions whereas she is not as conscious she her brain is much more harshly affected by alcohol. You can read this again in Leonard Sachs' book, Why Gender Matters. He has a chapter on drugs and alcohol. Women are much more detrimentally affected by alcohol. So if you have a scenario where a man and a woman are out at a bar, they're drinking at the same rate, and then he takes her home, he may be very well conscious that he had sex with her, and he may think that she's also conscious of what's happening. But she may not be. She could wake up and realize, oh my God, what just happened? This man raped me. Because as far as she knows, she's not conscious that she ever made a decision to be with this man. And that is that just brings home the reality that men and women are different. And men, women thought they were being empowered, and I guess in some ways they were. But men also took a, a really great advantage of women believing <laughs> that they were the same. But now, slowly, in a very strange way, but slowly women are beginning to realize that, no, actually we're not the same as you, and you you were taking advantage of us. I mean, they're doing it in a very weird way. Because I think the conversation, you can say it's rape, that's fine, but I think the conversation has to really be elevated farther than that to say for for women to have some self-accountability because the problem is that, and as Camille Pallier would say, the problem is that you can't say that you have an equal right 
to go out at night, to get drunk and sleep with whoever you want, but then the next morning when you realize you have no idea what the heck happened, you go and accuse the guy of rape. Okay, fine, he's accused of rape, but what are you going to do differently? Are you going to still pretend as if you're equal to a man, as if you're equally safe at at nighttime, as if you're equally able to drink a bunch of alcohol and be okay, as if you're equally able to make conscious decisions while while inebriated. That's that's the next logical step that has to happen, but unfortunately it hasn't happened yet. Hopefully it will. So to go back to this the the question that I started out with of being versus doing. So I think it's really important that we, uh, and let me quickly say, Muhammad Jalan, he has an episode called, and the man and the woman is not created equal, or men and women are not equal, oh gosh, I'm going to jack up the name of it, but something like that, something with men and women in the title, and so Muhammad Jalan, he has a podcast on iTunes, so I recommend checking it out, at least that episode I listened to was really good. So it's so, um, just because really we just want to harp on this point of men and women being different and the way that, that it has ruined society, especially socially for us to forget those differences. So, and we just gave a, a prime example of it just now. A man and woman, the woman thinking she's equal to the man, going out at night, getting drunk, then not even being aware that she's sleeping with this man, and then the after fact, oh my god, he raped me. Even though the man, according to him, he had no idea that she wasn't conscious. But this is the consequence of believing that you, that a man and a woman is the same, we're not the same, in some very important factors. So women have... um Women have for a long time, again, out of out of feminism, been working. In fact, in the 1970s, that was the first time that over 50% of women, excuse me, that was the first time that 50%, and then obviously it rose after that, of women started working outside the home. And right now it's at about 74%, I believe. In fact, the interesting thing is that this past decade, is the first time that it dipped down a bit and that the number of stay-at-home moms rose a bit. That's the first time in decades that has ever happened. So one of the... um, So this has been a, a really great detriment to our society to believe that men and women are the same. So I want to give you an example and then bring it back to our society, an older example. So we know, at least according to science, that men and women, and even even there are societies like this still, we know that men and women used to be, there was a period where we were hunter-gatherers. That was what we were doing basically as human beings in order to survive, hunting and gathering. So the women had this job of gathering, that meant gathering the leaves and the berries and the fruit, whatever was nearby that, that we could eat. And then the men went out to hunt, to hunt the bigger animals that would that would also be obviously for food but would sustain us for longer and give us that protein and all of that. So this was really the balance of the relationship between men and women. Now I want us to imagine what would happen if now let's say this is this is true and I, I believe I've seen this in some of these um more simplistic uh, simplistic societies or yeah, I, I hate using the word primitive, so I think simplistic is a little bit better. Um, or maybe can we say unindustrialized? I'm not sure. Pre-industrialized, something like that. But anyway, some of these simpler societies, I believe I have seen this on like television or something. When the men come back from hunting and, and they've caught the big game, then there's a celebration and then the food goes on the fire. And it really, <laughs> we can sort of see that may have... Um, that may be the root of barbecuing and like barbecuing being a man's job, Allahu Alam. So imagine if women saw men and they're like, man, you know what? The men, every time they go hunting, 
then we have this big celebration for them and we you know fire the food and we act like it's this big thing and here I am as a woman just just gathering all these berries and fruit and nobody throws a celebration for me you know what we women we should rebel or we should start a revolution and we should go out and hunt just like the men what do you think would happen to that society would that be a wise choice for both men and women to go out and hunt does that make sense just think about that for a minute so now because the women they're just focused they're seeing what the men are doing they're seeing that everyone celebrates when the men when the men go hunting and catch a big game so now they become jealous and they want to do what the men are doing so everyone decides that or so men accept and all the women decide they're going to go out hunting just like the men does that make sense would that be a wise use of their resources their time their efforts would anything be missing if they did that? Would that be logical? Would that create a balanced society or an imbalanced society? I think that we could reasonably assume that that would be a pretty dumb idea if women decided to do that. That would be pretty dumb. Why would it be dumb? Why would it be un um, unintelligent? Well, if everybody hunts who's going to gather who's going to bring the food that will sustain us on a daily basis um who's going to watch the children who is going to take care of home maintenance these are the questions that don't get answered when women focus primarily on what men are doing and want to do what men are doing and this is what happened with the feminist revolution. We can see it doesn't make sense in a, in a pre-modernized society. We could see that would make zero sense if women went out and decided they're going to be hunters just like the men. Wouldn't make any sense. All men, all women, were all gonna be hunters. Illogical, because the question remains of childcare, of home, ma home maintenance, and of sustaining ourselves on just a daily basis. And yet, because we live in a more industrialized society, things get clouded, but the, the same questions still remain. So in the feminist movement, what I see is one of the things that happened, and I'm not, I'm not someone that thinks feminism was all bad, because I think it was important for women to know that they could, they could be more and do more than just being stay-at-home wives, that they should have options. Not that, but the problem is that they, didn't, they then degraded housework, degraded housewives, degraded stay-at-home moms and being a stay-at-home mom. That was the problem. But just opening up what women are able to do and how women are viewed, that's a good thing, of course. But one of the issues that I see with feminism, one of the things that I see at the root of it is jealousy. Is some women, and I do feel like it's a minority of women, who were jealous of the uh, what should we call it, the status, well, I don't want to say the status of men, but the, um, I'm like, there's a specific word that I want that I'm not recalling right now. But basically who were jealous of this position of importance that men held in the outside world. That they were looking outside and seeing men getting all the credit for doing all of these wonderful things in the outside world. And then they felt like they were not valued for what they did in the inside world. They felt it wasn't valuable. So some felt, okay, this is not valuable. This is not valued. Others felt it's not valuable. And they no longer wanted to do that. They wanted to get the credit and the fame and the fortune just like the men. Because the men are walking around and they're doing all these great things and they're being appreciated. So I want to be like them. The question that feminism and that society and liberalism and, all, and the whole thing, because feminism is just a part of larger society, it's just a part of liberalism. The question that never ever answered is if men and women go out to work at equal rates, 
who is going to take care of the children and who is going to take care of the home and who is going to cook the food? That's a question that feminism never answered. And so now we have a situation where men are helping more in the home, but women are still doing the bulk of the work. But the question of who's going to cook the food and who's going to raise the children day to day is just a question that's constantly up in the air. And that's why I feel like a lot of marriages are not ending in divorce and women overwhelmingly women overwhelmingly um, initiate divorce. 70% of divorces are initiated by women in the West. Because, it, because I feel that it's become too overwhelming for a lot of women. They're doing the job of the men and they're doing the job of the woman. And it just isn't, the, the benefit of it just isn't adding up for a lot of women. I wrote recently about that on the blog. Um, my post is called, More Women Are Asking Why Should They Suffer? So this is one of the big missing questions of society. And the funny thing is that, so like Muhammad Jalan mentioned in his podcast, and it's it's so ironic when you think about it in such plain and simple terms, that women left their home and then go to work and pay someone to take care of their children. Does that make sense? Does that make any sense? And and some women do realize it doesn't make sense and they quit their job in order to just stay home, in the, especially in those early years before you can send your kid to public school, which is most public schools don't start until the age of six, maybe five, the youngest, but I think it's six. So you have at least five years where you have to pay someone else to take care of your kid. That doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't make any sense, but we keep doing it. And I'm, I'm working on an essay right now to talk about the gender pay gap and the need to focus on moms. And so I think there are many ways that we can solve this problem, but I think the first thing we have to do is acknowledge the difference between men and women. And, and so I talked about one of the ways we can and should solve the problem of the gender pay gap is that we have to acknowledge that women are mothers and mothers are women. And we can't make it this issue as if it's some kind of anomaly. Most women are going to be mothers. And so if we're in an environment where over 70% of women are working and most women are going to be mothers, we need to have more mom-friendly workplaces. But I, And that's on a societal level. But on an individual level, I think that we as women really have to think about what we're doing and if it makes any sense. Because, to, again, to go back to the hunter-gatherer example, would it make any sense for her to pay someone else, let's say someone else from a neighboring village, because all the women in her village are going to go out and work now, so to pay someone else from a neighboring village to watch her kid while she goes off and hunts? Does that make sense is is that like why are we doing this and we have to also there's so many questions to ask that we don't ask one is that is that what you want to do as a mother not what you have to do because it's not always about well the kids will be fine you know they'll be fine in daycare yeah probably they will nine times out of ten they will sometimes they won't as I'm writing about now I included this article where a woman, she left her child at three months, and she didn't want to, like I'm sure most women don't want to, but she felt like she had to, and um, her child ended up dying in daycare. So it's not as if things never go wrong, um, but of course, your child will be fine most of the time if they go to a daycare. But the problem is that we don't ask ourselves why we should outsource the raising of our children. Like, why should that be outsourced? Is it really worth the extra, however much you're making, $30,000 or $100,000, whatever you're making? Is it really worth that amount of money? And I know that everyone 
is going to think, going to say, because I've seen these, these uh, I've had these discussions before, that, well, these days it takes a two-income family to raise a child. And the first thing, I, there's a couple things I have to say to that. One is that that is a societal issue. If we are living in a society where mothers cannot afford to take care of their own children, that is a problem. That is not something we should just say as if it's okay. It's not okay if we are living in a society where both a mother and father have to work outside of their home and have to outsource their children's care. That isn't okay. But the second thing I would say, and, and again, thankfully, I'm Muslim and we're Muslim and we have some guidelines on these issues. Men are charged with taking care of their families, period, point blank. So if you can't do that in New York, maybe you need to move down south. If you can't do it anywhere in the U.S., maybe you need to move to a different country. If you can't do it with one income as a man, then you have to go and get a second job. And yes, the wife can help. If the wife wants to help, I'm sure she would let you know and she would, you know, she can do that if she wants to help. But even then, when there are children at stake, especially for us as Muslims, it does not make sense to outsource childcare. Those early years are so valuable to your child. Those early years of their life, it doesn't make sense to outsource the raising of your children to someone else so that you can go out and work. If your husband is able and capable, he needs to be working as hard as he can to take care of your of you, of his family. And he you guys have to figure it out. Maybe you're spending too much money or because nobody thinks they're spending too much money, right? <laughs> so you need to look at your balance, your budget, and figure out how you can make this work. You have to make it a priority because it is illogical to outsource the raising of your children. Now, I'll give an exception, and some people are are this fortunate, and the culture is is um is better suited for for younger parents. Which the exception is that unless your grandparents, or excuse me, the child's grandparents, your parents, are able to raise your children, I think that's wonderful. If they can do that, and you can go out to work, and you know that they're in a safe, loving environment and you're working and making some extra money, then it's great. It's wonderful because they're they're being loved and being taken care of. And if you want to work, you can. So I, w- I would say that is an exception. In some places, that's the norm. Some places like China, I've heard that's the complete norm that the parents are raising their, the grandparents are raising their grandchildren and the parents are going out to work. Alhamdulillah, I don't see anything wrong with that. Even my parents... Um, my dad, when he was young, his dad went off to Britain and he was working and my dad was surrounded by his mom and his uncles and his grandmother. And for my mom, who grew up in Guyana, in their younger years, then then she was raised by her grandparents and with her cousin and her parents were working in Europe. So I think that it can work in those scenarios, but in our society where it's almost like every man for himself, I think we really have to rethink what we're doing in this life. And on a deeper level for us as women, I think we have to realize, and I'm going to have to do another podcast on being versus doing because I didn't get into it as deeply as I wanted to, but I don't want to go much longer. I, I just think for us as women, we also have to realize that such a major part of being a woman is about who you are, is about being, is about being, about being, about being, and not about doing. Doing is for men. That is what men have to do. Men have to prove themselves through means outside of themselves. Women do not have to do that. For us as women, and this is something that that I'm realizing as I get older, if we're not in tune with our body, we're just not in tune. Like you have a part of knowing who you are as a woman is knowing your body. Like your body is so important. It's so important. I wish we would learn more about our our bodies in in school even. Um but we have to do our own research as women because 
so our body affects our mood, whether it's our, and it's not just during your period. It's during your period, before your period, after your period. Our body is going through these phases where it's more able to get pregnant, less able to get pregnant, um, where it's affecting our mood of being happier and more energetic or sadder, where it should be, where it is affecting our, um, what do you call that, our reaction to foods. <laughs> so something I've noticed, and, and sorry to the men listening, but something I've noticed is that my body will crave salty and sweet foods before my period, but that is the worst thing I could have. <laughs> so if I'm out of touch, if I'm out of touch with my body, then I won't be eating the right foods. I won't know when to eat the right foods. Because if I'm out of touch with my body and then I'm craving this food and I forget that I'm about to have my cycle, I'm going to feel physically ill when I have my cycle, which is of course going to affect my mood, which is also going to affect what I'm able to do in the world. So if you're a woman who's out of touch with your body, you're, you're just out of touch, whereas men don't have the same relationship with their bodies. There's this famous letter exchange that I'm rereading now, but I read back in, uh, in college where Descartes, Descartes was a famous philosopher. He was the one who said, I think, therefore I am, where he basically came to the conclusion that that was, that at the essence is, is the mind. And this woman, Elizabeth of, of Bohemia, which I'm trying to reread the letters now, but she was having this discussion with him that the body is valuable to the mind. Like the body and the mind are not this this disconnected thing that Descartes was trying to make it. Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. And her response was to really say, no, it, it isn't that. It isn't this, this disconnected thing. Um, there, there was another woman I was listening to recently and she was talking about, you know, we talk about the the body and the mind, but are those really two different things? Those are just human categorizations, but are those really two different things? And especially for women, they are not. Our bodies are so valuable to who we are as people. And if you, if you are in touch with yourself as a woman, if you simply be... And be, people think that being is a passive thing, but being is not a passive thing. Being, intentionally being, and I don't even need, I don't even want to use the word intentionally because sometimes it gets beyond, sometimes words get in the way and it really is so much deeper than anything we can express. I can almost say it better in, in uh, if you can think of an image of a pregnant woman looking down at her stomach. And just the, the serenity that she has in that, the oneness that she has with this new life coming into being. That is, that is a, it's very hard to describe in words, but that is a part of what it is. If I know who I am in the depth of my soul through my body, not just through my mind, but through my body and my soul, and really these things aren't even disconnected, that is how I grow as a woman. Is what do women do? What do we do? We give birth to new generations of life. If I can be in tune with myself, I can create a baby that is healthy, that will go to full term, and I can give birth and let this baby out into the world. If I'm in tune with that baby, I can create a human being that knows they are loved and cared for. If I'm in tune with my husband, I can create a man who is empowered to go out into the world and give him the energy to go out and conquer the world and make money and bring it back home. But that is that has nothing that has nothing to do with what people see so much of who we are as women at our best has nothing to do with what people see and i think the mistake that feminism made is to be jealous of men because men are out there doing and that's great for them but as camille paleo said if the world was run by women or if the world was just women however she put it then there would be no skyscrapers. Why? Because women don't feel the need. We don't have to prove ourselves. Like, we don't have to prove ourselves in that way. I think that our society is constantly forcing us to try and put ourselves in that box, to try and prove, our, um, prove ourselves within the male landscape. 
within the male, how do I want to say, within the male, but like within the male um, outlook to see ourselves the way that men see themselves. And that just simply isn't who we are. And I think that the more that we aren't who we are, the more the world is imbalanced. The more that we're out of tune with ourselves, the more the world is out of tune with with itself. And so what I'm what I feel is happening in this society and has been happening for a long time is exactly the same as what would happen if in a scenario of hunter hunter gatherers all the women decided they're not going to fulfill their role anymore, they're going to all be like men and go out hunting. Something would be missing. We wouldn't just say, oh, well, society will all be the same. Great, we'll have more meat. Something would be missing. We would no longer be, they'd be no longer having vegetables and fruit. They would no longer be taking care of their own children. And so they would be disconnected from their children. There's so much um, that would be lost. And I think in our society... What is lost the most? The disconnect with children, of course. Also, they're not being much of a home life. People spend, now both men and women are out working. What does that mean? People usually work eight hours a day. And then if you're talking about the, the, the um, what do you call it? Going to and from work. I mean, everyone is different, but that could be an hour, let's say. Or let's say it's just 30 minutes, so you add an hour onto that. Okay, what about getting ready for work? That could be another hour, so we're at, like, what, 10 hours? And then sort of trying to de-stress from work, but let's not even go there. Let's just use the, the basic minimum, the 10 hours. 10 hours from your day, okay, then you have to sleep for 8 hours, 18 hours of your day, and then you have 6 hours left. Part of that time you have to use to get ready for bed and get your children ready for bed and get them eating and all of that and doing their homework. How many families in the U.S. today don't have a, a meal together at home? They do not have a dinner that they sit to every day. This was the norm a couple decades ago in America. And we lost that because now men and women are working. And so, and I blame, I, the blame is on men as equally as it is on women because men let this happen because it they were benefiting from it. They were benefiting from the extra income. They're benefiting from being able to sleep with whoever they want. They were benefiting from less responsibility. So men benefited from this just as much. It's not like it's just women who benefited from from feminism. I think actually more was taken away from us. So there is there's so much that's not happening in our homes anymore. And no one no one questions it. Because we forgot as women, we forgot that what we did at home was valuable. We just forgot, and we have to be reminded of that. We have to be reconnected with that. But the only way we can do that is to give up the male ideals of self. I'm writing about this now, but so much of how we see ourselves is through the male prism. So much of psychological development, for example, these men were talking about men, and if you read further into their works, they will make small notes about women, whether they don't understand women or they think women are different from men. But they, when they made these theories like Eric Erickson's Eight Stages of Development or Freud's Psychosexual Theory, it was not about women. It wasn't about women. It was about men, boys and men. But these male development schemes were taken to be human development. So now we all think that men and women are supposed to go through these stages the same. And we just aren't. And I, uh, thankfully, science is showing us more and more the ways in which women and men are different. Now, will people listen? Allahu alam. I don't know. If the, if, if, um, this, what is it? This health organization, when they put out this, this, uh, warning about alcohol and the way people made fun of it, if that's any, you know, if that shows anything, then I guess people won't take it seriously. But I still have some hope because we're supposed to be a science-based nation. And so the more that we pay attention to dif differences between the gender, the more that we can do justice by the genders, because then you won't expect a man to be like a woman or a woman to be like a man. Then you won't criticize a woman who is not developing like a man 
or a man who is not like a woman. And then also, if we begin to think about what we lost, we we keep trying to sort of squeeze everything into this idea of what we thought was supposed to be true. So we thought men and women are the same, and it's just about socialization, and that men should go, women should go out and work, and they shouldn't have to stay home, et cetera, et cetera. And so now that a lot of women are realizing that this is just too much, this so-called second shift that I have to do, and and not I shouldn't even say have to do, but women end up doing more of the housework and childcare than men, still in our time. So a lot of women are realizing that they're still doing the traditional work of women, more so than their husbands, and they're still working like and they're working like men. And then the this coin that this feminist came up with, the mental load, that they think about childcare and housework more than men. So for as individual, let me just say, on a social level, and on an institutional level, companies have to acknowledge that women are women. So if you're if you have a employees that are women, especially those that have young children. Don't treat them like everyone else. Don't expect them to work a 40-hour week like everyone else. Allow them to work part-time if they want to. Allow them to work from home if they want to or if they need to. And don't have these expectations that they should be just like the single man or even the married man and work just as hard and be held up to the same standards. That isn't fair for those women. But on an individual level or just among us as women, we have to think about what we're losing when we just focus on trying to be like men and trying to um, succeed in this one area of doing and forget about being. What did we, What are we losing in the process and what can we gain by reclaiming our ideals, um, our, by reclaiming ourselves as women primarily, not as, you know, trying to be like men and trying to live to these standards that men have, but trying to be ourselves as women. And we as women, we don't need instructions on how to be a woman. If you just, if you are more in tune with yourself, you will be more of a woman. You will be more able to express yourself as a woman. The less you're in tune with yourself, then the less you'll be able to to express yourself as a woman and to know what it is that you really want out of life. We have to, we have to. Even if housework and how and and caring for children and being a housewife or a stay-at-home mom or the home in general are devalued by society, we as women have to start to value it again. We have to start valuing it again. And it's our society is just imbalanced and out of whack. If everyone is performing at great high levels on the outer world, but in the inner world and things are just falling apart. So that's all I'm going to say for today, being versus doing. Inshallah ta'ala, I hope that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bring back balance to our world, to us in the West, and allow us to regain a sense of value in the home and to regain a sense of value in ourselves as women. Thank you for listening. Take care.